Hi everyone and welcome to episode 21 of Infraction, our true crime podcast. I'm Nadia. And I'm Sally. Today's episode, we are going to be focusing on the disappearance of Bear Diaz. His birth name was Elijah, but everyone in his life called him Bear to the point where even some of his friends and family didn't know his actual name was Elijah until he went missing. So we will be referring to him as Bear in this episode. I got myself into a real pickle researching this case and working out the best way to display all this information for all of you. During my extensive research, it became very clear to me that there was another missing persons case that occurred the day after Bear went missing and that a lot of sources and news reports have linked these two cases together. Therefore, at first, I was going to do this as a double episode and reference both Bear and Skylar, who was the other young man who went missing, and link the two cases within this one episode. But the more I dug, the more I realised that A, the police are absolutely certain there's no connection, B, I'm now basically not certain that there is a connection, and C, I think discussing these two cases in conjunction with each other might actually cause more harm than do any good. So instead, what I'm going to do is, this week we'll discuss and explore the case of Bear Diaz, And next week, we'll talk about Skylar's case. I'll lay out all the facts in each episode for each case. And then you guys can make up your own decisions or do your own further research into whether they're connected or not. I hope that's okay. I'm sorry. It does basically mean that we're going to be doing two missing persons cases in a row. But to be honest, I think it's unfair to mention this case without mentioning the other one. But I also think it's a bit negligent to merge them into one episode if there's no link between them. So, as I mentioned, the individual at the centre of today's case is Bear Diaz. Bear's mother, Lalani, had grown up on the Barona Indian Reservation, which is about 30 miles northeast of San Diego in the US. This reservation is home to the Barona tribe, a tribe of Native Americans who, in 1932, created this very large, self-sufficient, independent community. When Bear was four years old, Lalani left her husband, Stephen Diaz, and took her three children to the Barona Reservation to live and grow up there. She said this was an important move for her. It was the place she had grown up and the community spirit and the feeling that you were surrounded by family was important for her and she wanted to raise her children that way. The Barona tribe were one huge family and so she was surrounded by a giant support system. This support system became very important to Lalani in 2002 when Bear was six years old. She started noticing that he was starting to get very, very sick. He constantly had headaches, he was vomiting a lot and he was incredibly lethargic. She took him to the hospital and the doctors were astounded by what their test results showed. Bear's blood glucose level was sky high. For an average individual who doesn't have diabetes, blood glucose levels sit between 80 and 120. Bear's blood glucose levels were at 863. The doctors were completely amazed that he wasn't in a coma. Bear was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and because of this he became dependent on his insulin injections, which he had to have three times a day. At first, this was okay for him, but as he got older, this constant need to check his blood sugar levels, eat, check his levels again, inject himself with insulin, go out and play, only to have to come back a few hours later and do it all over again, became draining and was frustrating bare. Still, he enjoyed life, and when he was 10 years old, he started surfing. This was something he loved to do and continued to do until he was around 15 years old. He also learnt to play guitar and enjoyed this as well. By this time, Lalani had remarried a man who also had kids of his own, and so the family grew even bigger, and Bear got on really well with his new stepbrother. Unfortunately, in his late teens, Bear had to stop surfing, as around this time his diabetes was having serious effects on his physical and mental health. He was having daily trips to the hospitals for checkups and tests. 
These daily trips turned into overnight stays and then week-long stays, and around the time Bear was 17, he had to spend five straight months in the hospital. Because of this, he had to drop out of school, as he was missing so many classes, and so instead he got his GED, which is like an alternative to an American high school diploma, and it just kind of tests you on four core subject areas. God, this must have been so tough. Yeah, I think it was really tough for him, uh, not only physically, but of course mentally as well. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds so draining. And like you say, just the all day, there's no escape from it, is there? No, completely. And I think for most people, approaching adulthood and constantly being in that hospital must be quite scary. I think if I was in that situation, I'm sure I would be worried about money and finding a job and things like that. But thankfully for Bear, he didn't actually need to worry about anything like that and could instead focus on his health. Bear didn't need to worry about finances because the Barona Reservation generated a stream of money through their casino. Indian gaming is the foundation on which the Barona Reservation built their community. The Barona Casino, named Big Top, opened in 1994 and has since generated enough money to completely sustain the entire community. The proceeds from the casino are paid out to each member of the Barona tribe in the form of a paycheck and is put in a trust fund for all members of the tribe who are under 18 years old. The amounts paid out varied month to month, but we are talking thousands of dollars here. And because of this, when Bear was 19 years old, he decided to buy his own place and gain some independence. Bear didn't want to stay on the Barona Reservation because it was really in the middle of nowhere. It's set in this big valley and you'd have to drive a fair way to get food and petrol and that kind of thing. And Bear just wanted to be more central. Therefore, he looked at houses around El Cajon, which is a city in San Diego, about 20 minutes southwest of the Barona Reservation. It was an area where he had lots of friends and so it seemed like the perfect area for him. He bought a house in El Cajon and because of the vast amount of money he'd gotten from the casino trust fund, he was actually able to buy this house outright. This newfound freedom seemed good for Bear. He still struggled with his physical and mental health but he had lots of friends who he saw every day. He hung out a lot at a hookah lounge which, from what I can tell, is like a shisha lounge. Every night he'd spend time there with a group of different friends and each time the lounge closed for the night, he'd invite everyone back to his place. Bear had two full-time live-in roommates at his house, but reports say that most nights he could have had between 5 and 15 friends sleeping over on the sofa and the floor after each night out. During the days, however, he still needed a lot of care and so his mum Lalani would spend between 5 and 8 hours each day with him. Unfortunately, Bear's health started to get worse. In the disappeared episode titled Every Mother's Son, Lalani said that it got to the point where Bear would guess his sugar levels based on how he was feeling and administer his insulin based on that. I'm not sure if it was because of this management of his diabetes or if his symptoms were just naturally getting worse, but Bear started to be really heavily affected by his diabetes. He was incredibly underweight. I did a very brief search on this, but for a quote, healthy weight for a male who's 5 foot 10, the healthy weight comes out as being between 130 and 175 pounds. Bear only weighed 110 pounds. God. Mm. He also had neuropathy in his feet, which meant that he had to either walk aided with crutches or use a wheelchair. He also suffered with cataracts in his eyes, and by the time he turned 20, he was severely visually impaired. He was really almost totally blind without glasses. These physical illnesses impacted his mental health a lot, and Lalani said that at times Bear was depressed. Unfortunately, in 2014, Bear's depression got even more severe when his stepbrother, who I mentioned earlier, went missing. A few days later, his body was found and he had unfortunately taken his own life. Oh my god. This rocked their entire family and broke Bear as he had been very close to him. 
Despite this, reports say that Bear didn't like people seeing him upset or down, and so he tried to act as happy as possible when he was around others. However, he didn't actually see his friends as often anymore because of his inability to walk or drive. On the 29th of August 2015, Lalani and some other members of Bear's family attended a funeral. This was something Bear didn't go to because he was too poorly. I've seen mixed reports on where Bear spent this day. Some reports say that he was at his house and others say that he was at his mother's house. But either way, after the funeral, Lalani went and picked up Bear from wherever he was and took him out. Bear was very agitated. He was feeling really unwell. He had severe headaches and where they were was too noisy for him. So he asked if he could be taken back home. Lalani drove him back to his house and went inside with him. It was clear to her that Bear was feeling really low. She started speaking to him about maybe enrolling him in the school programme to give him some purpose and something to put his mind to. Bear got angry at her and told her that she didn't understand. He was fed up of being so poorly and just wanted to be healthy and normal. The two had an argument and Lalani decided to leave Bear and give him some space and so she headed back to hers. She left Bear at 10.30pm on the 29th of August. She made sure to lock his front door behind her as she left. She took the 20-minute drive back home and texted Bear to let him know she had gotten home safely and that she would see him tomorrow. Bear texts back immediately, saying, OK, Mummy, I love you. The next day, August 30th, 2015, Lalani texts Bear and asked him what he wanted her to bring over for lunch. Bear didn't respond. Thinking nothing of it, she messaged him again and asked if he was still mad at her after their argument the night before. Again, Bear didn't respond. At around 3pm, she got in her car and went over to Bear's house. She didn't think anything was wrong at this point. She assumed that maybe he was just sleeping in as he had been really poorly the day before. She arrived at his at 3.30pm and she noticed that his car was in the driveway. She let herself into his home. His bedroom door was closed and so she opened it and went in. Bear was nowhere to be seen. This really was when the panic started to set in. She went into the other rooms and called out his name, but there was no response. Her concerns were growing at this point. Of course, she was fearing the worst. The last time one of her sons went missing, he had taken his own life, and Lalani was so incredibly worried that Bear might have done the same thing, especially as his mental health had been so bad recently. She went into his bedroom, and this time she took in the state of his room. She noticed that his 50-inch flat-screen television had gone. She noticed that his safe was open too, and when she went over, she noticed that the money from inside was gone. She guessed that there had been around $7,000 in the safe, which of course was now missing. What was even stranger was that the bedsheets on Bear's bed were missing. His pillows were laying on the floor, but someone had removed and taken the bedsheet that was on his mattress. I've seen varying reports about his comforter, which I guess is what we'd call his duvet. Uh, some reports say his comforter was on the floor with his pillows, and others say that his comforter was missing too. Lalani noticed that Bear's crutches and insulin were also gone, but that his glasses, that he desperately needed to be able to see, were still in his room. Panicked, Lalani went out into the main area of the house and saw one of Bear's live-in roommates. He was just as shocked as Lalani that Bear wasn't there. He had also assumed that Bear was just asleep, as his door had been closed all day. The roommate said that he'd gotten home that night at 2.30am and that he thought everything was normal. Bear's bedroom door was closed then, and so he just assumed he'd gone to bed as it was really late. Lalani called the police and explained that her son had gone missing from his home in El Cajon. Unfortunately, because he was 20 years old, Bear wasn't considered an immediate risk, and the police told Lalani that he'd probably be back soon. 
I find that shocking given that he's incredibly vulnerable due to his health conditions. I thought you were going to say that they wouldn't consider it maybe a missing person's case because it was too soon or something. But actually, this is someone who can barely walk unaided, who's nearly completely blind Mm -hmm. and needs a constant stream of medication in order to survive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know it is really shocking. And I think there just needs to be something in place, you know, more than just a, oh, well, they're over 18 years old, so it's not an immediate risk. I think that's a really dangerous kind of mindset to have in place when people come to you with like, when well, when people come to the police with missing cases, because yeah, like you said, it's totally dependent on the situation. Yeah, in this situation, he couldn't have just got up and run away, could he? So yeah, I agree yeah, with you. Yeah, he's it's very shocking. Mm, Totally. Either way, Lalani was hopeful of what the police had said, that Bear might be back soon. And so she waited until the next day, the Monday, and went to the chiropractor and waited for Bear. This was because Bear had weekly hospital appointments on Mondays, and Lalani knew that if he had just taken a time out, he would have come back for these appointments. She waited and waited for him to show, but he never did. She started contacting all his friends. She reached out to them by Facebook and Instagram and she texted and called the friends that she knew. This was a hard task as Bear had known so many people, especially from the hookah lounge. But this didn't deter her. She didn't stop trying to get in touch with as many people as she could. Unfortunately, this came up with nothing and nobody had seen or heard from Bear. Some of his close best friends said at this point they weren't even that worried. Bear had reportedly done things like this before, where he'd walked away from the house and gone and stayed with someone else for a bit. However, each time he had done this before, it had only lasted a week or so, and he had always told his mum where he was going. When his friends started to realise that nobody had seen or heard from him, their panic started to set in too. If they're not able to track his cell phone, I mean, 2015, I would have thought that would be possible. Yeah, well, they do that later when the police actually do get involved, but obviously at this point, he's not really on the police's radar. Yeah, of course. So Lalani was getting increasingly more worried and scared. She knew someone must have known something. Because Bear couldn't physically get up and walk away, he must have been helped by someone. The week after Bear's disappearance, the Barona Reservation held their annual powwow. This was a gathering of lots of native tribes from all over the country. It was a festival of dance and music and culture, and it was something that Bear loved. Lalani knew that if Bear was just out there somewhere taking a break from reality, that he would come back for this powwow. He literally never missed it, and he had been looking forward to it all year. Unfortunately, Bear never showed up for the powwow, and at this point, Lalani again went to the police and asked them to start investigating this. The police actually did think that Lalani's cause for concern was genuine at this point, especially since Bear likely only had about two weeks' worth of medication left. They started looking into the case and realised that Bear hadn't even collected his cheque from the casino and this was something he had never not done before. They went to his house and searched for any kind of evidence that might let them know where Bear was. Unfortunately, the search of his home didn't really help find answers. As I mentioned earlier, money was missing from his safe, presumed to be about $7,000 worth. His bedsheet was missing, his crutches and a few weeks worth of insulin had gone, his phone wasn't there and neither was his TV. His backpack that usually had his wallet in it was also gone, although his glasses were there and his phone charger was there. The police struggled to find any forensic evidence in his home. There were so many fingerprints everywhere that belonged to different people because Bear always had so many people in and out of his house. The only thing the authorities really could say for certain was that Bear did not leave by himself. There was no way he could have carried the TV out of there, not only because he was on crutches, but even without them he wouldn't have been strong enough. Therefore, they suspected that either he had willingly left with someone for some reason, or he had been forcibly taken from his home. 
The next thing the police did was check the activity from Bear's phone. At 1.29am on Sunday morning, Bear's phone had pinged off a cell tower located next to the Barona Reservation Casino. I can't tell if the casino was open at this time or if anyone saw him at or around the casino. Judging by the fact that it's never been reported on, I assume nobody did see him. About 29 minutes later, his phone pinged again off of a different cell tower. This time it pinged in Santa Isabel. From what I can tell, this is about half an hour north from where he lived in El Cajon, and Santa Isabel is a really small, isolated area that you go through to get straight to the mountains. The area is really just like a massive valley of barren land. There's nothing there. This was concerning to the police. They couldn't understand why Bear would have been out there at two in the morning. The authorities said that at this point they were worried that someone had dumped Bear's body out there. They said that if this had been the case, they would have serious issues because the land was inhabited by coyotes and other wild animals and they knew their chances of finding Bear's body, if it had been dumped, would be incredibly slim. The authorities' other theory was that Bear may have gone out there to commit suicide, but of course this raised the same concerns about the wild animals and them not being able to find his body. The police went out to Santa Isabel and attempted to scour the area, However, this proved very tricky because the terrain was difficult to drive on and even more challenging to walk on. Obviously, the police were confused by this because it was really unclear to them how Bear would have managed to navigate his way around this area on crutches if he had been there voluntarily. Did he drive? Uh, so he could drive. He actually had, I've seen lots of varying reports about it. He had um, like quite a few different expensive cars, I think. Um, but at this point in time, he couldn't drive because of what uh, the neuropathy that was happening in, in his feet. So he could drive, but he, he wasn't able to drive at this point in time. And his car um, was still at his house. Mm. The police actually said at this part in their investigation that they had considered that maybe Bear hadn't been with his phone when it had pinged in the Santa Isabel area. They thought maybe someone had stolen it or something like that. But I guess because this was really their only credible lead, they decided that they should stick with it just in case. The police got a helicopter and searched the area too from overhead. This was confusing to authorities because it really seemed like there had been no human contact in the Santa Isabel area at all, especially around the cell phone tower that pinged. At this point in the investigation, the police really didn't have any leads. Lalani and other members of the Barona tribe canvassed the El Cajon area and put out missing posters flyers wherever they could. Lots of people in the community did help out. A hundred miles north, Stephen Diaz, Bear's biological father, was doing the same thing. There had actually been some suspected sightings of Bear in the area where his father lived, but unfortunately these didn't turn up anything either. In October 2015, about two months after Bear disappeared, a body was found in Lake Hodges, which was nearish to where Bear went missing. His family waited with bated breath for news on whether it was Bear. However, it was quickly determined that the body was female. This was obviously a small relief for Bear's family, but with this relief brought more pain, as they still had no idea where he was. In January 2016, about four months after Bear disappeared, the Barona Reservation Casino funded a billboard to be put up by one of the main rows in El Cajon that had Bear's photo on it and the details of his disappearance. Although this was originally only supposed to be up for 30 days, the casino kindly funded it for six months. This brought a wealth of needed attention to Bear's case, with thousands of motorists seeing it. But unfortunately, it didn't bring any leads. Gosh, not a single one. No, not, not anything. In May 2016, nine months after Bear's disappearance, Stephen Diaz, his biological father and Lalani's first husband, died unexpectedly, having never found out what happened to his son. 
God. As you can imagine, this brought even more heartache to Bear's siblings and to Lalani, but they never stopped their searches for Bear. Eventually, Lalani took over guardianship of Bear's home. This meant that she could legally ask his two roommates to leave and could take over the property. She turned it into a search and rescue headquarters where the community can go to help search new avenues regarding Bear's disappearance. Mm. Unfortunately, five years later in 2020, there are really no other updates on Bear's case. This year, the authorities have posted a $10,000 reward for anyone who can give any information in relation to Bear's disappearance. $9,000 of this have come from his family and the other $1,000 has come from the San Diego County Crime Stoppers Unit. But as of now, nobody has come forward with any viable information. So, really, those are all the facts. I guess the next thing to do is discuss what we think could have happened. I mean, do you want me to kick off with some theories or do you have a theory you want to dazzle me with? Well, I have a few questions. Okay, go um, on. The first of which is, what did we know about Bear's housemates? Were they ever investigated? What was their relationship like? I mean, I'm guessing good, but they've got to be the first people to be questioning here, surely? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they were questioned and nothing came of it. I mean, we don't really know. Well, we don't. I don't. I don't really know much about them. There's really nothing reported on them, which can only make me assume that Really, they were just probably good friends of his who, you know, he'd extended his home to. I don't think that they paid rent or anything like that. I mean, from for all accounts, Bear was a really, really generous person. He was really giving with his money and things like that. So, I mean, it could be that maybe one of them had taken advantage of him and his generosity. But judging from the fact that it's not been reported on and um, it's not referenced in anything that I've read, I imagine that, yeah, they're probably clean. Okay, so... Uh, the second question is, obviously, you mentioned that he uses a wheelchair. Typically, could he get himself in and out of that day to day? I mean, how much support did he? I know you've mentioned that his mum was there a lot in the daytimes, but from the sounds of things, Bear was quite a party guy in the evening. So unless he relied on his friends a lot for help, it sounds like he was independent in his movement to some degree. Yeah, I would say that he was independent to some degree. So his use of the wheelchair um, and of the crutches was because something had happened to his feet. It was related to his diabetes. Um, mm. And um, he had a very slow healing injury on his foot. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know what kind of injury that is. Um, but because of that, he couldn't walk properly. So um, I'm guessing the fact that he could walk around with crutches meant that one of his feet was maybe in kind of better condition than the other foot. But and I'll post photos on the Instagram he was incredibly, incredibly thin. And so I assume that he used his wheelchair really as more of a easier means of him getting around. Yeah, exactly. Like a Mm -hmm. relief from his like muscles and things like that. And towards the end, um, before he disappeared, he wasn't going out as much at all. So yes, beforehand, he'd um, been, you know, out kind of every evening sort of thing. Towards um, the weeks and months leading up to his disappearance, he wasn't really out at all because he was genuinely like so unwell um, and he was losing more and more weight, it seems. So he was definitely getting a lot weaker. Um, so yeah, I think he do- He could definitely move around by himself. I mean, the fact that he didn't have like a live-in carer makes me assume yeah. that he obviously could get out, go to the bathroom, get into bed by himself, that kind of thing. So I definitely think he had some movement, but probably not an extensive amount of movement. So I think, I think it would have been I mean, it would have been impossible for him to have run away unaided, um, like without any fr- any friend or anyone else helping him. And so the third thing, which I'm going to guess you probably don't personally have the answer to, um, the big question would be how much of his symptoms or pain in particular was manageable with painkillers? Um, 
and I suppose it's probably something that I don't know maybe we could answer with like a bit more research but yeah I'd be curious to understand if if he was to dose himself up with painkillers etc would he be able to walk further and do more um obviously this isn't a sustainable strategy but I'm just thinking in terms of what might have happened on the night Mm -hmm. I mean the big thing here has to be centered around considering how much he could really move independently I mean like you said it seems really unlikely he'd have been able to carry a tv but could he have walked himself out to the desert had he taken some really strong painkillers um I'm gonna say like you said having really no personal information on this I would I would say that probably not so basically if you look at the photo of him he is so unbelievably thin I really really don't reckon that any amount of painkillers would have allowed him to have walked out of there unaided I mean he did have his crutches so there's you know there's no saying that he couldn't have done that um I mean is it possible that he walked out and then someone maybe saw his door open or something like that and then they came in and stole his things and he had never been there. I mean, that is possible. I think it's very unlikely. But there is not a chance, even if he was on the strongest painkillers in the world, that he would have been able to carry that TV out there. Because he honestly, he has sort of like the figure of a very small child. I really don't think, you know, even if he didn't have problems with his feet and everything else, I still don't think he would be able to lift that TV. No, although I think one thing we've learned from this podcast is actually how amazing the human body is Mm, true never say never but no I completely get your point okay so yeah I think I've got a few theories do you want to go first or shall I um I mean well I'm working with two theories and one that I think is more probable than the other but I mean you go ahead (laughs) okay so weirdly the two theories I have is quite strange because I think they're almost the complete opposites of one another Mm -hmm. um so the first theory uh, I have is that this was a suicide um from the sounds of things uh bear was very very depressed i think i can't imagine many things more isolating than having a chronic illness that's incredibly difficult to manage Mm -hmm. so um and obviously he'd had the fight the night before maybe that had you know really signified sounds like he was quite close with his mum um but that sounds to me like quite a good indicator of how he was feeling at this moment in time Mm -hmm. um so yeah i think this could possibly be a suicide and i'm wondering whether the taking of the money and things like that was bear framing it as a murder or kidnapping whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. um to save his mum the pain of having two sons that killed themselves mm-hmm. okay so i'm totally on board that's one of my theories too although i have a little bit of a different opinion on why the money and stuff was gone i see it as more as Yes, I think if suicide was what he did, I reckon that he took the money and the television as payment for someone to help him because I don't see how in any other way he got out to Santa Isabel um, if he was there when his phone pinged because it's like a 40 minute drive. Like he couldn't have, he couldn't have walked there. Like there's not a chance he could have walked there. Um, Also not carrying like a giant TV and things like that. And because those things have never been recovered, that makes me think that they are in someone's apartment. Do you know what I mean? Like somebody has those things which makes me think that maybe he used it as a sort of form of payment for someone to help him out and drive him out and either leave him in the desert or whatever. And I think, um, you know, it's not totally wild theory that maybe that is what he did because, I mean, he took all his insulin with him um, and all he needed to do was inject all of that and he would have passed away because of that. So I do agree with you on the suicide thing and I do agree that maybe he didn't do it in his home which would obviously been a lot easier but I reckon it's because it was saving his mum um the uh, anguish and the pain of finding his body yes although I think the cash definitely could have been a payment for someone I think if I was 
effectively being hired to kill someone, I 100% would not take their telly, which if ever found in my possession would make me number one suspect in a murder inquiry. So I'm still leaning towards... I think that's because because you're like smart. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying like his friends weren't smart, but what I am saying is that he... I don't think it was like he hired someone. I think it was more like he just got one of his friends to do it and said like, look, I'll give you my TV and I'll give you the money I've got if you just take me out to the desert and leave me there. I think it was more kind of like that. But then he could have just picked up the cash he was due from the casino in a few days' time, paid them extra. I mean, they've already got seven grand and let's say he could have given them another seven. The TV's kind of neither here nor there at that point. So I still think that's to do with framing it a little bit as you know in the bed sheet as well what's that about I still think a little bit of that's to do with um yeah I don't know making it look like this was just a random robbery gone wrong or something like that so then where do you think the tv ended up because that's the biggest thing for me is that that wasn't it's not like that was just dumped at the side of the road or something that's never been recovered which makes me think that someone has it and with regards to him going and picking up his check from the casino i mean i guess if he's in that state he's just had the worst day ever you know he went and saw his mum, and that didn't even make him feel better he felt like his mum was getting at him about enrolling in school and things like that i think there's probably less of a planned suicide and more of a i'm feeling really awful in this moment in time and I want to get out of here and who which of my friends can I get to come pick me up and how can I make them do it I think it's probably less planned than um waiting around another week or so for to go pick up his his check from work or from the casino yeah maybe I just don't think a telly would be the <laughs> the difference in whether you help your friend kill themselves no no I totally I totally I don't think it's like a like a not a smart plan that sounds bad but you know what I mean like I don't I don't think that it was like possibly very well thought through if that is the case but to me it's just I just wonder where that tv would have ended up but I mean yeah who's to say you you would still dump it I think but yeah you're not going to do it in the local tip so then what about the bed sheet then on in your theory okay what (laughs) what happens if you wrap the tv uh, the the bed sheet around the tv to like protect it because it was like a really expensive tv it could have been that if they were loading it into someone's car yeah that's true Oh, True. that's the first time you've ever said that I said something correct. Or he used it to drag it down the stairs. Yeah. Oh, oh my God, look. Look at you getting on board with my theory. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm not protecting it. I'm just moving it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what's your other theory? So then the other theory is that um, it was genuinely a robbery uh, then slash murder attempt that was made to look like a suicide um, so, I mean, he would have, I would have thought, be quite a big target. I don't know the area he lives in, but actually, for all intents and purposes, he's a vulnerable, wealthy individual um, mm-hmm. living, not on his own, but, I mean, case in point here, really, that his flatmates didn't notice. It doesn't sound like they spent all the time together, maybe like you would if he were sort of married or something. Um, yeah. yeah, lots of people probably would have known he was very sick, people may have known that he was also very low um, and that actually there was, you know, quite a lot of money uh, to be had here. Do I think seven grand is probably enough of a motivation? Possibly not, but actually I think people have killed and done awful things for a lot less. Yeah. Um, And I think it would be very plausible that if you were confident you could kind of do it without a trace and leave enough slight red herrings um particularly as was mentioned so many people came and went from his flat so Mm. if you knew that your dna could feasibly be there anyway um and no one would have like a particular reason to suspect you then this could be 
not the perfect crime, but quite a straightforward one to get away with. And just by doing something as simple as taking all the insulin, that already kind of throws the police off because... So I'm not saying this was a random thing. I think it would have been by someone who knew him. Yeah. But it would, you know, if it's, as has happened, it's quite straightforward to confuse this case. So it's not obvious that it would be a homicide and actually it's completely plausible it would be a suicide. So I do think that's kind of a possibility that actually it was maybe a bit more sinister. Um, and yeah, they just felt there was enough there that would mean it wouldn't be a killing in plain sight type thing. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That's That was also what my, I think probably what most everyone's other theory is. I think that it was like an attack gone wrong as well. And um, yeah, obviously the money and the TV, like you said, very self-explanatory that they would take that. Um, and I kind of had a theory on the insulin because I was like, on the one hand, if everything was just already in his backpack, you know, like his phone, his wallet, his insulin, that kind of thing, it's understandable why those things were just taken if if whoever had come in had just kind of taken the backpack. Um, but then on the other hand, I thought if his insulin was out and they actively took it, I was kind of wondering why they might do that. And then I thought, well, maybe on the one hand, maybe they wouldn't know it was insulin. Although if we're working on the theory that it was someone that Ben knew, which it probably was because there was no signs of a break-in or anything, like he most likely opened the door to this person, um, then maybe it's kind of like selling the insulin on the black market, that kind of thing. Because you know, in America, like there's quite a big market for, I'm pretty sure there's quite a big market for life-saving drugs like insulin because they're so expensive to buy um, because obviously there's no national health service. So it could be that they were just doing that for like resale value or it's probably more likely that they just took his bag and whatever was in it was in it kind of thing. Um, well, also... all that, mm. but otherwise by, you know, um, Bear can't go anywhere without his insulin. If you mm. take his insulin, it doesn't make it look like um, someone's robbed him. It makes it look like Bear's either upped and left or gone somewhere to overdose on it. So that's right. why I think they would take the insulin. Or that's an interesting point about selling it. And then maybe that explains why they took the crutches as well. Yeah, exactly. Because then suddenly it's not a straightforward, oh my God, Bear's been robbed and killed. Like you say, there's no sign of forced entry for all intents and purposes. This person might have just made a completely independent decision to up and leave go somewhere else commit suicide it, well yeah I think taking the insulin and the crutches would be absolutely the wise for want of a better word mm. thing to do in that situation if you were trying to get away with a crime yeah I definitely agree with that um oh yeah and then so what do you think that that maybe the reason that the bed sheets and stuff were, got, were taken as well maybe they had the perpetrator's dna on it or something or maybe that's where, unfortunately, maybe they killed him or something like that. Do you think that's why they took those things? Because that's a random thing to take is the bedsheet. Yeah, that's what I think. There's got to be something that was wrapped in it. But I don't know. And that's what confuses me, though, because I don't think it would be... Um, or maybe it would be a body. It's quite hard to believe that no one saw anyone leaving the building, isn't it? But yeah, I don't know enough about the, like where it was situated. But yeah, I think the bedsheet has got to be used to transport something. It's kind of hard, isn't it? I saw like a theory online where someone had said like maybe um, someone used the crutches and then the bed sheet is like a, oh, what's that word? Not a sling, like a, oh, do you know what I mean? A stretcher. Stretcher, yes, yeah, yeah, like a stretcher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, I've actually been searching for that word all day. Yes, a stretcher. Okay, so I read online that, so that that's what someone thought, that maybe they'd used it as like a stretcher to carry him out. But I mean... 
I think that's pretty mm, weak, isn't it? Because, I mean, he was so thin. He was so light. Exactly. He can carry on a stretcher. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why you need to either. Also, that would raise probably so many eyebrows. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it'd be the most obvious thing you could do. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, maybe, like, just moving out a TV and things like that, maybe it didn't look as suspicious. Although, saying that, it would have been... It was anywhere between, sort of... um, well, half ten and half two that this happens. So that is quite late to be, you know, packing up your car, moving house, whatever you're trying to look like you're doing when you're doing things like that. So I don't know. It's difficult, isn't it? But I agree with you. I find it bizarre that no one saw anything. Yeah, but all you... So then in that situation, you have to consider that maybe he was perfectly fine when he left the house and got into someone's car, Mm -hmm. which I guess on that... Either unless he was doing it under duress, it takes it back to the first theory, which is that someone helped him kill himself. Yeah, which I'm not sure which one I sway more towards. But I would, I, I can't imagine that he would have just gone and not left anyone a note, especially considering, you know, he saw what happened um, and the stress that his family went through when his brother went missing. Um, but I don't know, may- maybe he thought that they would find his body in the same way that they found his brother's body. Maybe, but maybe like the, you know, when the authorities said they were really worried about that area because of the wild animals, maybe that's something Bear hadn't taken into consideration. And so maybe he didn't want to leave a note, but maybe he thought they would find his body and be able to s- see that he committed suicide. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of things on that. I think that suicide isn't a lot of the time it isn't thinking about other people yeah um i'm not for a moment saying it's like a selfish choice or anything but um i think it could be like a flawed style of thinking to assume that he was in a state where he was thinking completely rationally yeah i mean ultimately if you're thinking about ending your life you're not necessarily thinking how can i make this at least painful for my family mm-hmm. particularly when yeah i mean he would have been conscious i suppose that his parents had already been through it um And actually, I don't think there is a way to make that better. Um, No or no, no. And yeah, I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to kind of compute what he might have been feeling in that moment, isn't it? Um, Or alternatively, he like I said at the start, he didn't want it to look like a suicide. I suppose that there's some element of it could have looked like um, he'd been robbed and murdered or it could possibly, I mean, a bit of a stretch, but it could look like he'd just up sticks and gone somewhere else. Um, mm. Maybe he's, I don't know, or maybe he didn't leave there wherever he went knowing what was going to happen. I suppose it's always possible that actually, you know, he did take the money and the insulin, etc., and for whatever reason died or then changed his mind but yeah yeah, to leave a note or anything I suppose in that moment he'd have had to know exactly what decision he was about to make so yeah I think Mm. there's lots of reasons Mm. why it might he might not have made it completely clear to his family what happened and then maybe he thought it would just be less painful for them to never really know yeah no I agree with that I agree with that um but yeah I really do think it's so startling in this case that from the sounds of things he would be quite a memorable person to see if he was incredibly skinny which is quite unusual for men also using crutches etc quite a big member of the community around him it sounds Mm -hmm. like it does just seem so striking that no one saw anything which leads me to think that the way you know the key to this case is that whatever happened must have been the sort of thing that you just wouldn't have remembered. Do you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't think twice about watching someone happily get into a car with someone else, etc. Yeah. Whereas you would think twice to seeing something suspicious in that area, like, you know, a very frail 
man being carried or something. Yeah. So then that leads me to think, yeah, maybe back to your original point that it was someone who we knew helped him do it. And that's kind of like what I think. I'm exactly the same as you. I can't believe nobody saw anything. And especially when, you know, now the authorities are offering, you know, like a $10,000 reward, you would think that someone would come forward. And I don't know, like, I don't know how much weight this holds. But from my point of view, that's kind of why I think it was maybe something more sinister, because you wouldn't come forward and say, oh, yeah, I robbed him and then killed him or he died in the like during the process or whatever. You wouldn't come forward and say that. But I think if you were his friend who helped him or even a loose acquaintance and you can see all this going on you can see the billboards up you can see everything happening if you genuinely drove him out there for him to commit suicide or just under his orders of driving out there and leaving him there or whatever maybe you wouldn't come forward because you wouldn't want the police to arrest you or whatever for being complicit in it um or I don't know, maybe they would think that they were going to be done for attempted murder or whatever. But I don't know, from my point of view, I just find it so hard to believe that someone willingly helped him and then sat there and watched all of this going on around them and didn't mention anything. Like at that no, point, would you, you would... not be scared that the police would come after you? Well, no, because I think at that point, you've got to assume they, they're running billboards and a huge missing persons inquiry. They clearly have no leads and no idea where he is. I think, yeah, you probably would be scared, but maybe if you'd been one of Bear's best friends, you'd seen how much his health has deteriorated, how low he was, and I don't know, you promised him you'd help him right at the end, make it all go away. Um, then I don't think you would say anything. Absolutely, I think it would 100% be a prosecutable crime that mm. I don't know what the various kind of uh, penalties are in the States, etc. Um and actually, like here, no one's ever been prosecuted for assisted suicide, even though it is illegal. But if that's not true of this in the States, then I think you absolutely would stay silent, particularly if, from the sounds of things, it was quite obvious the police had absolutely no leads. I mean, at that yeah. point, if I'd done that, I'd be feeling relieved, probably, that I'd got away with it. And I guess it's a risk that if someone did help him, it's a risk they took. They knew they would have been committing a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and so actually the only thing they ever could have done was just never spoken a word of it. Yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I guess from my point of view, I thought like, if that was me, you know, I'd be like so worried seeing how much attention this case was getting and so worried that someone might have seen something that I might have come forward just to say, look, I was with him and this is what happened. But I guess you are right in those moments. Yeah, you decided to help him when he needed you the, like the most or at the, at the end of his life or whatever. Um I guess maybe you wouldn't mm. come forward. It's, it's your really only chance. Difficult. Yeah, mm. not coming forward would be your only chance to get away with it. The only thing True. that I do find strange, but actually, again, if he had so many friends, I wouldn't have thought it'd be that hard to track the movements of the some of his friends' cars on that evening, do a little number plate scan, see if any of them had been in the area where Bear's cell phone went off. Um, but I suppose if he knew a lot of people, and actually if this was something that maybe he had planned to some degree then I suppose it's possible that they wouldn't have used their own car, etc. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess you can't check every traffic camera against every number plate ever. Um, yeah, and I mean, also, it could have been someone he didn't know. Could have been a, a hired job as opposed to one of his friends. That's actually, do you know what? You just saying that has really just pinged something in my mind. Um, because his, obviously his cell phone, the first place that it pinged on the tower was at the um, Barona reservation near the casino so maybe he was going to commit suicide and then 
maybe he got he went there first maybe to say goodbye to his family or whatever and then for whatever reason he didn't because that's that's confusing to me like why whoever had his phone whether it was him or someone who had taken him or whatever why that and why they ended up there at the Verona reservation and then they ended up in Santa Isabel which I guess to be honest leads more towards the suicide theory doesn't it that maybe he did go there to say goodbye and then didn't for whatever reason maybe he didn't want to do it anymore and then they went out to Santa Isabel um or maybe maybe they were going there to get his money and the casino was closed I don't know I really yeah. really or, don't know. I mean he could have gone there to say goodbye but not physically to his family do you know what I mean I think it would oh, be yeah. probably a normal thing to do maybe to drive by there take it all in and from the sounds of things Santa Isabel sounds like quite an obvious place possibly to go and yeah commit suicide if that's what you are going to do yeah, so yeah I think weirdly I think we've kind of ended up agreeing here mm. oh, I wouldn't bet on it I don't know I still think there was uh, it was an attacker but I don't know I can I, do you know what? I'm, I'm kind of 50 50 on it because I can see both sides to it and I think you can argue away the evidence in both sides of it but and you do anything for a telly <laughs> I would not do anything for a telly. <laughs> I think actually for me though, what the, um, really for me, I think almost what the highlight of this case has to be um, is how isolating and horrible chronic illnesses are. Absolutely. I mean, this was someone who from, you know, six years old, his life was dictated by their health. Mm. And I can't imagine looking into the future knowing there's no escape from that and it sounds like he particularly really had kind of ups and downs and that must have been so hard and I really commend him for finding like his independence and yeah totally um moving out and maintaining it sounds to me like for a lot of his life he really did live it to the full despite everything Mm. um yeah and I just think probably it's not something you know diabetes well I don't think it's a condition probably that is highlighted enough as to how debilitating it actually is from a social point of view, from a mental health point of view, and then obviously a physical point of view. Um, and I think there's a lot of conditions like that that actually probably do deserve more education so that people can better appreciate what it actually means to be living with a condition like that. Yeah, that you're 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 essentially just like a prisoner in your own body, aren't you? Because you can't do anything, even when you're yeah. going out and socialising and that kind of thing. You have to worry about you know when you're eating what you're eating what you're drinking have you taken your insulin with you um I have a friend at uni who has diabetes and I lived with him for a year and it was just you know the things that he had to think about were things that we would never have to think about like do you have snacks on you that kind of thing like do you have a granola bar in your pocket just in case that your sugars go too low and that kind of thing and it is something that you have to constantly constantly think about and um you know, it is awful. I totally agree with you. I don't think it's something that's highlighted enough. And it is obviously something that can completely affect, you know, every part of your body. The fact that he had diabetes, but it was affecting his eyes, it was affecting his feet, it was affecting his weight, like everything. It, yeah, like you said, it's very debilitating. And, and I agree with you. It was amazing that he managed to get his own independence and that through it all, you know, he managed to maintain so many relationships with friends and that kind of thing. Um, and try to really get the best out of life. Totally agree with you. I think it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think a lot of these chronic conditions as well, they're not um, they're not always the charities that you go out of your way to do things for. Do you know what I mean? There's, mm-hmm. They don't always particularly have a, a warm, fuzzy appeal. And I know that sounds awful, but you sort of look at some of the adverts on TV that spur you on to mm-hmm. educate yourself and donate. And they are do often involve kind of very young children or, mm-hmm. you know, sweet animals and stuff like that whereas actually 
these are probably much more common conditions that yeah just have huge huge impacts on people's lives Mm -hmm. um and yeah just when you're telling this story at the very start um yeah that just sort of really broke my heart hearing about it Mm -hmm. um whatever happened to bear um yeah I think hopefully everyone listening can learn something about his life before you know however it ended I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from what he endured already absolutely I completely agree completely agree during the search for bear a woman named olivia tozik reached out to lalani after seeing on the news that lalani's son had gone missing olivia tozik is the mother of skylar peterson tozik and her son skylar had gone missing the day after bear had the similarities between the boys are striking they do look very similar from their facial features down to the fact that they both were very tall very slim men Adding to this, Skylar and Bear lived 20 minutes apart from each other, although the two didn't appear to know each other. Although it's unclear if there is a link between these two cases, Lalani and Olivia found solace in each other and connected over the loss of their sons. Next week we will be taking a deeper dive into Skylar's case, so make sure you join us for that. Anyone with any information has been asked to call the Crime Stoppers Anonymous tip line, the number for which is in the description box. I know it's a long shot, but we do have a lot of listeners in California. So who knows? Maybe we have a listener from San Diego who may be able to help out. It is obviously always worth a try. Thank you all so much for listening. Join us next week where we'll discuss Skylar's case and the events that surrounded his disappearance. Once again, if anyone knows anything about Bear's case, please find the number in the description box and reach out to Crime Stoppers. It's totally anonymous. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you guys on Wednesday. Bye. Bye.